Happy Thanksgiving. We had a great one. I hope your family did too. Um, if not, then welcome to the family gathering of Cultivate Church. Um, we, we are a family and we gather as one, so we pray and, and hope that if you're visiting with us today that you'd never visit church again, uh, but that you'd become part of a church, whether that's us or somebody else. Um, we really believe that uh, we are the church. We don't go to church. And so we're here as the church uh, to really gather, to be equipped, to be encouraged, to worship, to uh, encourage one another, to have uh, fun, to eat together, especially today. Um, so welcome, welcome. My, my name's Jay, and I get to pastor uh, this fine church. So. But we are in, in the midst of a series. We're actually, actually halfway through a series that we're calling Story Formed. And uh, what we're doing is walking through the Bible as one big cohesive story. So I realize that there are a lot of new people here this morning because of the holiday season, so I need to kind of catch you up a little bit on what we've been doing. Basically, we're telling the story from beginning to end in sort of bite-sized chunks, and then we're taking time to discuss it as a community. And so I've been throwing out questions, and you guys give answers, and we discuss it a little bit and try to see what God's up to through his story and how that impacts our lives. Uh, the, the real hope, my real hope throughout this thing is that is that our understanding of God, um, that's our theology, would really be connected to his story. And that we would never kind of start to believe things about God, that we wouldn't be able to say, I know where the, the sort of the story lines up with that. I, I can find that in the story, and I know God is whatever, good or, or great or whatever the case might be, because we know his story. And we can go back and point to it and use it in everyday life. That's really my hope for this whole series. And, and that you'd really be more equipped as the church to go out into the world uh, equipped with your story and God's story to be able to share that to everybody um, so that they might believe and they might hear a different story because, believe it or not, we're all wrapped into the same story. We're all part of it. So I uh, just wanted to encourage you with that. And uh, I've really looked forward to our times every week coming back. Um, It's just been a unique experience for me to come and kind of go, God, what are you going to do next? Um, That's been a really cool thing for me because a lot of times, you know, as the pastor, you kind of bring the message. You sort of know essentially what you're going to share, and then you share it and you go home and other people feel blessed by it. Um, But you, you don't get that aha or surprise moment. And I've been getting a lot of those as you've been sharing with me, and I think the Spirit of God is really moving among us. That was particularly true last week, I think, that God really blessed us in that because we just kind of broke out in spontaneous worship uh, just sort of towards the end of the message. So, so let me catch you up to where we've been and, and kind of where we're going. Last week, if you remember, we covered quite a bit of ground, and, and that means like 1,500 years of history all in one fell swoop. So, uh, we, you know, I hope you didn't get whiplash from that experience, but we made it through. And if you remember, we saw that God led his, his chosen people, Israel, out of uh, slavery, a very horrible slavery in Egypt. And uh, he led them out, provided them a way to do that. And then when they got out, he gave them instructions that were to be their sort of guide for how to live in freedom with God in this covenant relationship that he provided for them. And, and he kind of summed up his laws with one sort of in particular at the very beginning. Do you remember what that law was? What was that first law that he gave? Yeah, 
Yeah, no other gods before me. Essentially, put me above everything else, right? And don't, don't worship other things. Don't prioritize other things above me, because if you do, that will go badly for you. Now, how did, the, how did Israel do in that command? How did they do keeping it? Not, not so great, right? If you remember. They, they, they really continued to rebel against God, and, and they, they essentially said, the laws that you're giving us, you intend them for freedom, but we kind of see them as a new form of slavery. Um, and they felt enchained by them. Um, but did God give up on His people? No, right? He continued to love them, and He actually provided a system for them to make an atonement for when they didn't obey the laws. It was a system of sacrifice. And how did that work? What, what was that whole process about? Okay, you sacrificed the blood of an animal, and then that did what? Right. And so that atoned for your sins. Because what we saw in the story is that life and the blood belongs to God. And every time we fall short of that, uh, it requires payment. And so rather than pay with their own lives, they would sacrifice an animal for payment on their behalf, and then they would get to go free and then live in God's covenant once again. Um, And God accepted this for a while, but only as a symbol of what was to come. Um, And then the people, as as throughout the history, they would sort of come to God when they needed help, right? You remember that part of the story? Things wouldn't go well for them, and so they would run to God and they'd say, help, we need your help in this. And then God, sure enough, He would show up and help. And then what would they do as soon as God would help? Yeah, they'd go back to their own ways, right? As soon as things were going well in life, They forgot about God and they would do what was right in their own eyes. And one of the things that we saw is that there were these people called prophets who would come in from time to time and they would remind people about God and then they would tell of a future day that was going to come with this future Savior and they started talking all about this future Savior that was to come. And that's where we really wrapped up. We saw that there was 400 years of silence between uh, what, the story that we saw last week and the story that we're going to see this week. So, so let's jump right into that story, okay? 400 years passed since God had spoken to His people. The Israelites, called Jews, had been under the control of other nations for hundreds of years. They were now ruled by Rome, the most powerful empire that the world had ever known. The Jews were still waiting and hoping for a king who would come to save them and lead them to victory. God finally sent an angel to a young woman named Mary in the town of Nazareth. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David, a direct descendant of Abraham. The angel told Mary that she would become pregnant and give birth to God's son, even though she was still a virgin. The angel revealed that this child in her was from the Holy Spirit and would become a king whose kingdom would never end. Sure enough, the next year Mary gave birth to a son whom they named Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. Not only did God reveal to Mary and Joseph that this boy was the long-awaited Messiah King, but He revealed it to others too. Angels shouted the news to shepherds, who then ran into town to find the baby Jesus, and tell everyone this amazing news that had come. A star guided wise men from distant lands to come and worship and bring gifts to this newborn king. 
This birth was truly a miracle. Jesus grew up in both height and wisdom and was loved by God and by everyone who knew him. So let's talk about this story then. What was it, if you remember at the very beginning, what was it that caused God to break his silence after 400 years? <laughs> I'll just start from the beginning. Yeah, right. This is promise. What do you mean by that? <laughs> it would ruin the story, but it also would, <laughs> it would, it would not be true to who God is showing who he is. Right. Yeah, so in a sense, God is being faithful to his own word, right? Um, so, so in that, that sense, you kind of get, get this idea that it's God initiated, right? So uh, let me ask kind of the inverse of that question. Has there, has there been anything that the people of God have done to earn or sort of merit God now speaking for the first time after 400 years? No, right? So it's not like they've done well, and so God's like, all right, you finally got the point. Let me show up and do something. He, he was faithful, and he said, I'm going to be faithful, right? And then all of a sudden, after 400 years, he shows up in the form of an angel and announces something brand new. So, so speaking of this new thing, what was unique about Jesus' birth? Born of a virgin, yeah. Don't hear about that too much, right? That's kind of an odd, odd deal. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What else is unique about Jesus' birth? Angels proclaim it, right? They, they tell in advance, this is what's going to happen, and it happens, right? Yeah, what else? Yeah, he's, he's God's own son, right? We haven't seen that term before at all. In the story, anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, right? So you see that that God—I don't know if you heard that—God announces it both to shepherds, who, if you knew anything about them, were the lowest of the low. They were the people that couldn't make it out to give sacrifices because they had to watch their sheep. And so everybody just assumed that they were completely unclean. So they were kind of out, outcasted from society, all the way up to kings and sort of wise men, the, the highest of the high. It, it's kind of an indication that this news is going to be for everybody, right? It's not just for a specific group of people. Yeah, isn't that interesting, right, that um, those who are anticipating God to move are the ones that get included when God does move. Isn't that cool? 
So they're, they're the ones whose hearts are kind of open to it and ready for it. And God specifically chooses to speak to them and announce his birth to them. That's pretty cool. So who is Jesus a descendant of? King David. What, what was his, who was he? Yeah, his greatest king, right? Um, and who was David a descendant of? Trace it back even further. Abraham. So how is this significant? Yeah, so, so God promised that Abraham's children would be a blessing to every nation, right? And now we see God doing just that, right? So what's being fulfilled then when, when the story is saying this is Abraham's descendant? The covenant, right? What's the covenant? The greatest of all promises. <laughs> the greatest of all promises, right? Where God is essentially promising, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to make you a blessing to every nation. And so we see this being fulfilled, right? This is a pretty amazing thing. We also see prophecy being fulfilled, right? What, we talked last time about what the prophets were saying about this future king that was to come. What were some of the things that they said that actually came true when Jesus arrived? Do you remember some of those? What's that? Born in Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem, yeah. Out of all the... the towns, right, in the entire earth. They, they said it was going to be Bethlehem, and sure enough, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Yeah. What else? Yeah, he'd be born of a virgin. God, God got that one right, too, huh? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so the right sort of lineage, um, tracing all the way back the way that God had said was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. What did he say about the kind of kingdom that he would have? Everlasting. Yeah, the everlasting, right? A kingdom without end. That's pretty unique about Jesus. So why are these things important? Why highlight this? What's different about it? What's that? Everything. Everything. Yeah. What's it showing about God? Right. Yeah, it fulfills the Old Testament, which is basically God saying, I'm going to accomplish everything I've set out to, to do, right? I mean, this was his plan. Yeah. Yeah, so you get a big sense that God is able to actually accomplish the plan he sets out for. How often do we, like, question that, right? Where we hear God say something through his word, or we hear, like, him speak a specific thing, and we go, man, that would be great if it came to pass. But I don't know if it will or not. Because I don't know if you'll accomplish what you said you would. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the... Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit, whether or not we're deserving of God to fulfill his promise. Yeah. So what about um, Jesus? What does Jesus' name mean? The Lord is salvation. And so what's significant about that in the story? 
Yeah, he's the Savior, right? Saving, saving from what? Yeah, quite a bit, right? Sin, slavery, death. Um, what is sin, by the way, just to clarify that for us? We talked about that before. What's that? Yeah, it's rebellion against God, right? And so you get this sense of Jesus coming in to save us from our own rebellion. He's going to lead a rebellion of our rebellion. That, that's kind of what Jesus is up to. And it's a state, not an action. It's a, a state of being, yeah. What does is, what is salvation apply we're being saved to? What is God saving us into? It's not just saving us from something, but for something. Yeah, kingdom, family, relationship with God, to be near Him. You get, kind of get this sense that God is going to bring everything back to the way it was when He first you know, created the world, right? All that we were created for, God is going to go go and and do that for us. All right, so let's get to the next scene here. God sent a messenger named John to tell his people to get ready because the Messiah was coming. John was a distant cousin of Jesus born just six months before him. He was a rugged man who lived in the wilderness, ate locusts and wild honey, and wore clothes made out of camel hair. I don't think you can get that at the Gap on, on Black Friday. John boldly challenged Jesus, don't just say that you love God, prove it with your life. Turn from your sins and turn to God. He became known as John the Baptizer as he dunked those who had confessed their sins in the Jordan River. Baptism was a symbol of being washed clean from your sins and choosing a new way of living. When Jewish leaders asked John if he was the Messiah, he responded, no, but someone is coming soon, who is far greater than me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals or even be his slave. You see, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with God's Spirit. Soon after that, Jesus came to be baptized himself. And when John saw him, he said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus insisted. So John baptized him in front of the crowds And when Jesus came out of the water, God's Spirit came down from the sky. It looked like a dove floating down and resting on him. And then a voice from heaven said, You are my Son whom I love. You bring me great joy. So what do you learn about John from this scene? He's a wild man, right? (laughs) Kind of different, right? Um, different dress, different eating habits, perhaps. The first uh, awkward diet, I don't know. You wouldn't prescribe that to other people, right? It's, it's weird because the, the prophets, they, their lives were kind of reflections of their message, right? And so they, they, they would come proclaiming with words, but they would also live kind of a different life to gain attention so that people would kind of listen to the message that they had. So what was John's message? That Jesus was coming. Yep. To repent. How, how, what was that word kind of mean? What, what did, how did John put it? Yeah, turn from your sin. Yeah, wash from your sins, live a new life. 
you know, turn to God? What is belief for John just about sort of what you know in your mind? Yeah, it's very much connected to the way you live your life, right? So, so why were people coming to be baptized by him? Yeah, they sensed something was coming. They wanted it for themselves. He was offering something different, maybe than the sacrificial system that they had been used to, that wasn't producing life for them. Um, you know. They knew that what they had wasn't enough. That little hunger for cleansing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he had a purpose for John's life. Yeah. You know, and a distinct part of in his story. You know, that resonates, I think, wow, do I get what God has for me in his story? My part of that story. Yeah. Yeah, do, you, do the rest of you guys hear that? That God, God had a specific plan and reason for John in his existence, which kind of reminds us, do we often ask that same question? Um, do I realize that God has a specific, maybe, role for me in his greater story? Yeah, so he, he recognizes maybe in a unique way, which is what a prophet does, what God's up to before everybody else does, and then tells other people about it. And so his message is basically, get ready for this guy, because he's going to change everything, right? Yeah, he, he's will, he willingly steps aside, doesn't he, when, when the person who the story's really about comes on the scene. I wonder if we do that very well, you know, in our, our lives, when, when the story or when the attention or when, whatever um, gets shifted away from us and we have to play kind of that secondary role, either to someone else or, or kind of pointing the way to God, if we're, willingly to do, if we're willing to do that in the way that John is. Let me ask this then. What do you think is significant about God saying to Jesus, this is my son whom I love? I mean, that's an incredible moment, right? To hear a voice from heaven come down and Jesus comes out of the water. What's that all about? What's God doing? Yeah, so he's affirming his identity to the world, right? Yeah, what else?
Yeah, so do we, do we do the same thing in that affirmation sort of role? Because Jesus has the full love of his Father, right? Has Jesus done anything yet in terms of ministry? No. Does he have the full approval and love of his Father? Absolutely, right? So what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah. so if, if, we're, if we're God's sons and daughters too, we have his approval apart from what we do. And do we... Do we affirm that same thing with our children in the way that we parent them? That's a great question for those of us that are parents to ask. You know. I can't imagine being the one standing on the bench either and hearing God's voice say, right. this is my son who comes with great deceit, yeah. my great love. Right. <laughs> Knowing that this really is the Messiah. Because at that point they all had to be sexually loved. Right. Yeah, there's no mistaking who Jesus' identity really is at that point, right? Um, if you were present that day, you go, okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. We're settled on that issue. Um, I don't need to hear another voice to say something different. But God, and in a major way, God is affirming his identity, right? You see that very strongly. That Jesus knows exactly who he is. That's going to be very important. So let's go to scene number three here, Jesus being tempted. Immediately after being baptized, Jesus was led by God's Spirit to go into the wilderness. There, Satan tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. During that entire time, Jesus didn't eat anything and became very hungry. Go figure. Satan tried to deceive Jesus, saying, If you're God's son, why don't you turn these rocks into loaves of bread to eat? Jesus answered him, No, When God spoke to Moses, he said, people need more than bread to live. They must find their life in the very words of God. Then uh, then Satan took Jesus to the top of the tallest building in Jerusalem and said, if you are God's son, jump off. Your sacred writings say God will send his angels to catch you and you won't even hit the ground. Jesus replied, Moses also wrote, do not even try to put your God to the test. Next, Satan took Jesus to the peak of a huge mountain. And he showed him all the nations of the world in their brilliance. And he said, I will give you all of this, anything that you want, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Jesus responded, get away from me, Satan. It's commanded, put God above everything else and worship him only. Then Satan went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. At this time, he was about 30 years old. Throughout Jesus' life, he never sinned or rebelled against God. He always chose to do what is good and right and perfect. So, if you were to kind of encapsulate, summarize maybe, um, these temptations that Satan is tempting Jesus with, how would you do it? Let's, Let's sort of go in order. What's the first one about? What does he do? How does he tempt him? All right, so he's tempting him with his own physical needs, right? What is he really calling into question? Yeah, whether God can provide, right? So what's another way to say that? If I don't believe that God can provide me, what am I questioning about God? His trust. Yeah, I'm not trusting his goodness, right? I'm saying God, God doesn't have good for me Therefore, I need to look elsewhere 
to manufacture good some, through some other means. And that's really what, what, what Satan is doing there. He's, he, what is he connecting it to? Do you remember? He's saying, if you are... Yeah, if you're God's son, right. He's saying, look, if, if that's really your identity, then, then God would care about you enough to send you food. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He's. Yeah. He's coming to him in his moment of greatest need. Yeah. It's a little absurd, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because when you start talking about these sort of attacks and temptations. You sort of see them for how trivial and, and easily conquered they are. But how, how often do we question God's goodness and, and say, I need to find... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we even heard that in the story that he was hungry, right? <laughs> So he has that tactic all the time of taking, taking things that God has said and sort of flipping them on their head and saying, and sort of twisting them a little bit so that we'll believe a lie rather than the truth, right? It's the same thing with Adam and Eve. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. So how about the second one, the, the, the second uh, temptation? What is Satan doing there? What's he tempting him with? With riches? What's that? What did he do for the second one? Yeah, so he took him to the top and said, you know, throw yourself off, because if you do, angels have to save you, right? Yeah, he's testing God's authority. He's testing really whether God's trustworthy, right? Yeah, so he's trying to put a wedge between the father and the son. That's a great point. Yeah. So what's the reality about God? I mean, that Jesus is sort of clinging to here. Right. It's essentially... Right. Yeah. What's faith all about then? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it would have been would have been different. Yeah. Yeah, what did Jesus mean by that? You shouldn't put God to the test. Does he, does he mean you shouldn't like expect anything from God? No, Right. So you're really having faith that God is in control, right? Yeah, beyond beyond having doubt. Because if I have faith that God is in control, then I don't need to test him. It's sort of like this stool, right? If I testing would be sort of like I'm gonna I'm gonna start to put a little bit of my weight on it and make sure that all of the joints are in line before I really you know sort of ease on to it. Whew. Okay. It was okay. It went, it went well. Um, ha, tr- knowing that God is trustworthy is saying, I, tr- I trust you with the full weight of who I am. I don't need to throw myself off a building to prove it. I, I know that about you. H- how about the, the last one? What is Satan tempting Jesus with there? With the world? Yep. Different kind of kingdom, yeah. A kingdom where who's in charge? Where Satan's in charge, right? Satan's kind of like the other two arrows didn't find their mark, and so he's like brought out the bazooka. He's like, "All right, I'm not even hiding it this time. I just want you to worship me. (laughs) Like, if I can figure out a way to do that, we're going to get that done, right?" Yeah, so essentially what Satan is saying there is if you make me the highest, I'll make you second in command because I'll give you everything. So he's basically saying this whole deal, this world, can be all about you if you just make it about you and about me. So what's the truth there? Who is it really about? No, like who, who is the world really about? Jesus knows the answer, right? Yeah, it's about his father, right? So he, he already knows the truth about that, that God's the one in charge. It's his world anyway. Um, and so I'm going to live to his glory and not to my own glory. Isn't that interesting? He was also trying to give an easy way out. Yeah. Christ knew that he'd have to die for our sins. Right. So, hey, take this easy way out and we don't have to die. Yeah, so kind of a, an easy escape route for maybe what, what's to come in the story. So, so what is, he, I mean, we've kind of said it already, but what is... Satan really challenging when he asked Jesus, if you're God's son, then do this. Yeah, his identity, right? Where have we seen Satan come and challenge a person's identity and tempt them before? Yeah, we kind of said that before. It's the garden, right? How did he tempt Eve with her identity? What are some of the things he said to her? Yeah, you'll be like God if you just eat this fruit. Yeah. So what's the truth in her situation? She's already made in God's image. That's the irony, right? Isn't that good? So you notice his schemes are always the same here, right? He, he takes God's original word and he sort of twists it in order to challenge our identity in God. That's what he does all the time. If I can undermine their identity, it will lead to all kinds of separation between father and son 
or between father and daughter, between father and us. absolutely knew who he was, right? Um, so speaking of him then, how, what do you think about that statement when it said, Jesus never sinned or rebelled against God. He always chose what was good, right, and perfect. What do you think about that? Yeah, in him we live the way that we're supposed to. Yeah, we'll talk about Passover in a second, actually, because we're going to get to that. Yeah. Have we ever seen that about anyone in the story before? Who's the only one that gets that title? It's God, right? Yeah. Have humans done really well at managing the knowledge of good and evil up until this point in the story? <laughs> no, right? Kind of been a mess. Yeah. I mean, just bad to worse through the whole thing. But Jesus is human, right? We've already said that. So how is that possible? Only God does what is good, right, and perfect. Only God has the ability to manage the knowledge of good and evil perfectly. So... I mean, we've kind of danced around it, but Jesus would have to be God in order for this to be true of him, right? There's no other way to get around this. We can't, like, come up with a different answer. It's really, the story's been leading us towards that conclusion. And so when we say he's God's son, what we're essentially saying is he's both God and man. And... Yeah, so he, he's, in that sense, he's the only one with a brand new beginning. And we, we're seeing a different pattern from him than we saw with the, the first creation with Adam and Eve, right? But, you, but I, it also struck me the whole thing of, you know, like if they had lived in their identity, in who they are, mm-hmm. and what they had in God, that's mm-hmm. what Jesus did. And yeah. that God saying, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him, Yeah. This is yeah. who I am. Yeah. This is what's true, you know. Yeah. So in that sense, what allowed Jesus to live this kind of perfect life? He was God's spirit. 
How do you, like even in the story, where do, you, where do you see like his ability to do this? What is it based out of? Power and prayer. What'd you say? God's power. Yeah, there's a. Yeah, there's no doubt about his identity, right? And so. Yeah, and faith in what God says. Yeah, he's the the best Bible verse memorizer in the history of Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about his father's vineyard. And, and yet, here's the, the odd thing. Jesus is baptized. What do, we already said that baptism was to clean people from sin. What in the world is Jesus doing? Being baptized. Being obedient, Being obedient to his father. Setting an example for others to follow. Yep. Foretelling. Foretelling what's to his come. Death and resurrection. Yep. Foretelling his death and resurrection. Anything else? Marks the start of his ministry, right? It kind of kicks off everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's, he's breaking the curse by identifying with the very people that rebelled against God, right? That's really what Jesus is doing here, if you think about it. He is, uh, as God, identifying with people and saying, I've come to be like one of you, only without sin, right? So it's, it's interesting because it's not that he's, he needs, I mean, he's the only one there that doesn't need cleansing, right? And yet he's identifying with his people and saying, I'm here with you, I'm here for you. His humility, yeah. Great humility. All right, last scene then. Not long after that, uh, John saw Jesus coming towards him and yelled out, Look, there is God's Passover lamb. He'll take away the sins of the world. God showed me he's the Messiah we've been waiting for, God's own son. As Jesus walked along the sea, he told some of John's followers, Come and follow me. From then on, Jesus surrounded himself with a few close followers called disciples, showing them how to live in God's ways. Then Jesus traveled throughout the area, meeting in marketplaces, homes, Jewish synagogues, and teaching people all of God's ways. He brought a new message to them, saying, The kingdom has come. Turn from your sins and turn to God. Full of the Spirit's power, Jesus healed people with every kind of sickness and disease. News spread quickly about him, and huge crowds began to follow him whenever, wherever he went. People traveled from miles away to be near him and see the amazing miracles that he performed. So why is it that, God, that, that John said, look, there's God's Passover lamb? Why do he say that? That was John's purpose. It was John's purpose? Yeah, what was John's purpose? Pointing the way. Yeah, he's sort of pointing the way, preparing people for Jesus to come. Yep. Yeah, is it, how familiar would people be 
of that term when he said, there's the Passover lamb in their day. Very, very familiar, right? What would the implications of that be? What story are they recalling when John says that? Yeah. We saw that just a couple weeks ago, right? I'm sorry, just last week, actually. Um, And what happened in that story? Let's recall that just for a second. So, and so, yeah. So, take a, a unblemished firstborn male lamb, kill it, take take the blood, put it over your doorposts. Uh, why was God doing all of that? What did He want? Yeah, He wanted to secure His people's freedom because His people had been in slavery for four hundred years, right? So God, God passes over the, the nation in the form of this death angel. And everyone who doesn't have this covering, in a sense, of the Passover lamb, their family loses their firstborn son and the firstborn animal of all of their livestock. right? And, and those who, in faith, painted the doorposts of their house with the blood of the lamb, all, their family and their household, they're all saved, right? And then what does God do with those people? Yeah, he, le- he leads them out of, of bondage, right? To, to be his people in a new land, underneath a new covenant, to live in freedom with him, which ultimately they ended up rebelling against. So what is God, uh, sorry, what is John saying then when he says to them, here's the Passover lamb. Look, He's the one that takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. He's the one that's going to take you out of slavery now and into life with him. Yeah. He's revealing the whole story in a smaller story that they were already familiar with. Yeah, you get a sense of that. Like they, they would have been kind of like we are maybe at this point now understanding the backstory. Like this aha moment, like, whoa, you're, you're saying about him that he's the lamb that's going to cover us and we're going to find like security and freedom and God's provision through him. That guy, God is doing a new thing, right? And he, he's showing up in a brand new way. And this is God's kind of means that he's going to accomplish that. Isn't that awesome? So what else do we learn about Jesus kind of through all these stories? Let's just summarize what, what we've seen in these four scenes then. The man on a mission. The man on a mission. Yeah. He knows exactly who he is, right? Yeah. He's God's own son. Has the perfect love of his father. God's answer to our problem. <laughs> yeah, he is God's answer to our problem. Why is that significant? Because we needed help. <laughs> yeah.
How often do we look to other things to be the answer to life questions? How often are we dissatisfied or kind of rebelling again in a sense um, to, to God's sort of appointed means to answer every question in our lives? Yeah, we've seen that through the story, right? That's kind of our natural disposition. Yeah, he, he is the one that's going to reconcile us with God, right? What's, the, what's our biggest problem as a people, as individuals? It's sin, right? It's rebellion against God. It's separation from him. And, and all the stuff that comes from that, right? Because we who are made in God's image were made to be in relationship with him. That's how we were created to function, worshiping God and giving him glory and giving him credit and submitting ourselves to him and living under his protection and his rule. And every time we remove ourselves from that, we experience all kinds of turmoil in life, don't we? In relational turmoil, and I mean, all kinds of ills in life. And, and so God is saying, here is my means, here is the way that I'm going to bring you back under the way that you were originally created to exist. And, and if, you, if you kind of see what, what I see, look, here is the Passover lamb, and experience that for yourselves, then you start to begin to experience that reconciliation, and life starts to work the way it should, right? You ever experienced that? When, you, when, you, when you're kind of so in love with Jesus and what he has done for you, you recognize your own need for it, and you submit yourselves to it, life feels like it's in order, right? I mean, things just seem to fit together, until we go and rebel again, and then we kind of face all the turmoil of life once again. Yeah. Jesus allowed us to see that in his example with the Father. He was obedient and submissive. Yeah. So your Father allowed us to see that so that we can see the freedom that is in submitting to someone else outside of ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. So he, did you hear the rest of that? That's a really important point. So... Jesus is demonstrating the kind of freedom of what it looks like to live under God and his authority, right? And so he's saying, how, how much freedom did Jesus have when he lived his life? How free was he? Yeah. Have you, I mean, completely, completely right? I mean, he, he performed miracles that nobody else had ever done. He's raising people from the dead. That, that's freedom. You know? like that, that, is, that is authority over the elements, right? He calms storms. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. does all kinds of miracles. He has a vastness to his freedom that no one has ever experienced, that we've seen in the story. Where does that freedom come from? It comes from living under the authority of God. Isn't that amazing? I, I just want to point this out just as we close. Um, because this is really important. We're going to see this again, this whole idea of the Passover lamb. Um, just re- re- kind of recalling the story, though, because we said in Egypt, the firstborn son of every family would have been killed apart from the blood of the Passover lamb. 
if you, so imagine now, you're part of this multitude of people that's exiting Egypt. How grateful are you if you're a firstborn son? <laughs> you're like, this is amazing, you know? I get to walk and breathe and like eat. I, I'm not back there in a heat, you know? Because I, that's where I would have been apart from the lamb who was slain, who covered me so that I could be forgiven and find redemption and walk in God's promises and live in relationship with Him. I mean, if you were a firstborn son in Egypt, you would be living to the praise of God who provided you a way out, right? Here's what he's saying. Look, here's the Passover lamb. And for those of us that look on that lamb and know that we are descendants of Adam, that we are the ones who've rebelled against God over and over again throughout the story, when we see the Passover lamb arrive on the scene and we hear God say, Behold the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world, what we hear, what I hear, is behold the lamb who takes away the sins of Jay. This is the one who God sent to me so that I could be free because I was a firstborn son and apart from him, I would not be living. I would not find the freedom that I found in Christ. And so I I would really encourage you with that, that if you're part of this story, which I believe that we all are, we all are firstborn children in this story. And, And God is saying to us, he's saying to you today, Find freedom in the Lamb of God. He was slain for you so that you would be free. And if you've never experienced that before, let me tell you, it is freedom like you've never experienced. And if maybe you've been living in it for a while and you've kind of forgotten and you hear this story and you go, yeah, that's great and all, it's just Christmas season again. I would submit to you that you've forgotten how much you need the Lamb who was slain on your behalf. Because if you really knew that you were that firstborn child sitting underneath this roof where the blood is covering you, knowing full well that without that covering, you would be like every other son in Egypt being slain that night, you would live the rest of your life to the praise of God. I really encourage you to do that. And I hope that you've been able to see that maybe anew today. Let's pray to God and thank Him for that. Father, we do thank You. We do just come before You and and acknowledge the fact that we're, apart from You, there is no hope apart from this Lamb who is given on our behalf. We we don't have a way out. Uh, This thing called sin, which was our own rebellion, of you was keeping us from experiencing life. It was producing death in us. It produces ultimate death one day. And thank you that before time even began, you you knew a way that you were going to plan to save us from it. And that plan involved arriving in this world, the world that you created, the one that rebelled against you, arriving yourself coming here in the flesh, coming as as the Son in the world, experiencing everything that we experience, identifying fully with us in baptism, saying, I know 
what it looks like and what it feels like to experience sin. And yet I've come without sin to redeem you from your own rebellion. And help us to cling to that. I pray that we'd be awash in that knowledge anew today. And that through it we would really experience freedom. Thank you for the Son. Thank you that he was slain for us and through him we find freedom. In his name we pray. Amen.